0: He called Nike Nikki. He didn't know how to pronounce Nike. I, I probably made that mistake, too. N-I-K-E, right? So,
1: you
0: know, Right. <laughs> who knows about the goddess of what the hell she is? I, I know what he said. Before
1: they get in your
2: good people welcome into Montgomery and Company we got a legend we have a legend on the show today Sonny Vaccaro so you guys might know him from the movie air Matt Damon just played him but boy does he have a wealth of knowledge about the sports business y'all know I love some good sports business stories he's going to give us all those stories I even asked him about the women's side of the game what his thoughts are love what he has to say all we needed was an opportunity and speaking of that That's exactly what a lot of college athletes got recently. We're coming off the heels of the WNBA draft, and I'm so excited to talk about the Atlanta Dream and what we're building over here. Do it for the dream. I better see y'all this summer, man. The event that's happening over here was the WNBA draft. And so the Atlanta Dream, we had three picks, the sixth pick, the eighth pick, and the 15th pick boy oh boy did we win the draft and listen I like I'm biased yes this is my squad and everything like that but I was on the internet and there was a lot of people that also think that the Atlanta Dream shouts to our GM Dan Padover. shouts to our head coach Tunisia Wright y'all did y'all stuck thizzle there's a lot of other people that were in the war room I was in the room where it happened I'm telling you right now it's so exciting because with me I talked about it a little bit before but Having the opportunity to add players to your organization and not only just any players, players that you get to hand pick in a sense of you draft them. They start their journey with you. You get to see what type of personalities you're adding, what type of energy you're adding to your group. I was so excited. And we had, you know, Suzanne. A bear, I call her, you know, partner. She's one of the other co-owners of the Dream, as well as Larry G. All of us were present, and we had our kids there, so that was pretty cool. I had my Boop Junior there; she had her kids there as well. They're our next generation, but just seeing everything and how it's coming together—excited is an understatement. I kept telling everybody before the draft that all I want for Christmas is Haley Jones at number six. I didn't know if she would get to us because obviously she's a superstar. She's a great player and she has that and more effect of those things that just aren't even going to show up in the stat sheet during the games, those intangibles about her personality. And so I'm going to get right into it about the WNBA draft because, like, for me, I mean, everybody, Aaliyah Boston went number one, just so you guys know. Like, that was predicted, that was well-deserved, and she got it. And that's, like, I love to see it. But I'm going to specifically talk about our draft picks because, hello, hello. So starting at the sixth pick, Haley Jones – Helling out of Stanford. Boy, the amount of messages that I received from people in my WME family that are just living in in the Bay Area. That's like, yo, take care of it. You got a good one. Take care of her. You got a good one. All these other stuff. Like I was bombarded with messages. People are saying, oh, we got to do a home home for the podcast. Yes. Haley Jones has her own podcast where she interviews other players. She's interviewed players' moms. Like, it's just a dope podcast. So you'll hear more about the dream players in depth and what they're doing because they're going to couple in the show at a certain point. But Haley Jones, you know, as the draft is playing out, we really didn't know. Like, you know, like she was number one on our wish list, but we didn't know if she would get to us. So when the fifth pick happened and we saw that she would be available and shout to the fifth pick, Lou Lopez, because that's a UConn grad, UConn. Um, but shouts to, to Lou for going at number five because then that opened up the door for Haley Jones to be our sixth pick. So, again, last year we added Ryan Howard, Nas Hillman. The year before that, Arian McDonald. And so now we're starting to get to the point where look at our young core, Alicia Gray. Look at our young core, AD. We have, you know, like just so many players that we're excited to build around. And this is what our GM, Dan Padover had to say about Haley Jones.
1: Play the one through three. Um, She able to pass, able to shoot. Um, Also, is going to bring a steadiness to her game, Um, just from playing at a high level her her entire career. Like she's going to come in and be absolutely fine. Actually, we were joking with Ryan and Oz because they played together on the U twenty one America team, so know each other well. So I think everybody's going to fit in seamlessly.
2: And then, boom! We had the number eight pick. We were back like we never left, and we had Letitia Ami here. Man, I'm telling you, this girl, unique, athletic, long. I mean, just versatile in a sense of what she can do, who she can guard because of her athleticism. Super exciting. This is what our GM, Dan, had to say about her.
1: He's just super unique. Um, You don't see a player of her size, wingspan, athleticism every day. So um, I think she would tell you there's some areas of her game she wants to grow in, um, and we're looking forward because we think she can We've been watching Leticia since we got here. So, you know, watched her a lot last year, watched her a lot this year. Um, She's just a special player. Um, Now, like like I said, she's got areas in her game that she needs to improve at this level. But again, like the athleticism, the talent, um, she does certain things that just wow people. Um, And when you have that, it's really hard to find. And we think we can develop all the other things.
2: And another thing is, she played on the South Carolina Game Clock squad. And the reason I say that is because when you played on a winning team and you know what it takes to win, you know what it looks like, you've been a part of that grind to win. There's That's just something you can't teach. You have to experience it. It's literally why LeBron James left the Cleveland Cavaliers, took his talents to South Beach and went to Miami because he was like, I got to learn what it looks like. We have players on our team now that knows what it looks like. Yes, at the college level, is different than the pro level, but I learned what it looked like in, in high school – And that helped me in college where we won a championship. And that helped me in the pros. And so when you have championship DNA in your team, it just elevates everything. And that's what we got with Leticia. So I'm just excited. And we aren't done yet. That's what I'm trying to say. Draft night was lit. We still had one more pick. And a lot of times in the WNBA draft is hard because there's 144 spots available. It's the hardest pro team to make. By far, no questions that's statistically. But then we still had the number fifteenth pick. A lot of times that player doesn't make the WNBA because it's so hard, but we drafted Leah Brown and shouts to my guy, Woody Woods, because he sent me a tech and I'm going to just tell you how life is crazy and how things always work out. He said, this is crazy. You spoke at my boy Nard's camp a few years ago. And today you drafted one of his kids, Leah Brown, number fifteenth pick. That's hard. Like, and I'm like, whoa, that's big lit. And I told her to come in hungry to camp because for this very reason, it's hard to make teams, but you come in hungry with the talent and it's always a possibility. So players like that, it's just like, it's exciting. The heartbeat, Michigan, and just so a little fun fact that we learned on the call today, shouts to Kiera on our Dream Squad. She let us know that we drafted Nas Hillman last year at the 15th pick from the University of Michigan, and this year on our 15th pick, we drafted Leah Brown, another Michigan player at 15, so two players from Michigan at that 15th spot. As you guys know, Nas ended up making the team. We love Nas here, and so, man, like just all together as an organization, you know, I was talking on our our company call this morning, and I was just saying, like, we should all be excited, not just the coaches, not just the coaching staff, not just the players that are getting other great players to build and play with, but... Everyone here in the Atlanta Dream should be excited for what's happening and what's going on because we're building something special. We're building a healthy organization. Suzanne talked about that today. We're building a healthy organization. We're building a healthy mindset team. We have great leadership. The fan base, I got to shout y'all out because y'all were turned up. Y'all were turned up in the draft, during the drafts, talking about our draft picks. I got to shout out e n f p hoops because they sent out a tweet 2 p.m now the draft happened at 7 p.m and they sent a tweet out at 2 p.m on draft day that said here are our predictions for the atlanta dreams three draft picks selections tonight and they picked exactly what we did six haley jones eight fifteenth. they got it all right it's so crazy to see y'all's investment I'm gonna see y'all this summer. We're already getting turned up. I tweeted out that it's about to be a party. It's a party. Yay! Every home game at Gateway Center Arena. Y'all better pull up on us. We're turning up. Let's go! up we have the legendary sports marketing executive Sonny vaccaro matt damon plays him in the new movie air which is out in theaters now another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help We have the legend on the show today, Sonny Vaccaro, legendary former sports marketing executive, the man responsible for signing one of the greats, number 23, Michael Jordan, and then to his first Nico deal with Nike. Sonny, welcome to Montgomery & Company.
0: Please be invited in with the family.
2: Oh, let's go.
0: I have a good feeling about this interview.
2: I love that, man. I'm at
0: your disposal. Anything to, you have to ask, let's talk about and. And I love to talk, as you should probably have been briefed on. You don't have to shut me up, young lady. So go ahead, Renee.
2: We will not do no such thing. I want to ask you about everything then because we've seen how it all started because of the film Air. And I want to start out with that because... They're making a film that airs out in theaters now is starring Ben Affleck, Chris Tucker, Viola Davis and Matt Damon who plays you. What were your thoughts just when you heard about this project?
0: I had no thoughts. <laughs> but, <laughs> Renee, it's the biggest surprise of my life other than my wife marrying me. <laughs> you know, and when it all happened, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't know it was happening. I was invited uh, by Peter Goober who owns the film and you know and his company does and uh, I had done it. A Soul Man, it was a documentary about nine, 10 years ago with a man, John Weinbach, and who produced it, and he worked for Manly Bay. It was a day after Super Bowl when they played in Los Angeles. I was invited to Mr. Goober's home in Beverly Hills with 15 other people that I did. I only knew John Weinbach, and I knew who Peter Goober was. And on that day, for the first time, I knew something was happening because John Weinbach told me, Sonny, we're doing a project on Michael Jordan. He didn't tell me anything about it. And he invited me in. And why wouldn't I? I mean, uh, obviously, it has been a big part of my life. And a very, very controversial part, a very beautiful part, but controversial as the years have gone by. So we walk into the meeting on Monday. Peter, after having a little coffee, whatever, blah, 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 he says to me, we brought you here because we're on a new project. And I want to brief you, right to you and your wife, that we're, going to, we're inviting you. You're not going to have anything to do with the script. You're not going to have anything to do with picking the, the actors or anything to do with the movie other than would like to have you be a consultant on the film. The next words he said was, you know, Sonny, you're a public figure. We don't have to ask you to do anything as we don't have to ask any of the other people. And, and you're a public figure a, and you would understand that. And as good or bad as it is, that's what it is. So we listened for three hours. We met all the people. And I met a young man named Alex Convoy. He was about 28 years old and he looked like he was eight years old. <laughs> he worked for Mandalay Bay when he graduated from uh, Southern Cal's uh, the film school. and He was an intern there and a, and a paid intern. Uh, during the years, They did Soul Man. The most important thing he did, he was now moved up in the chain, but you do remember The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, which was the most watched show during the COVID thing. Well. I had a problem with, you know, people being interviewed for Soulman from Nike, anything to do with Nike. It was sort of like a, you know, well, whatever it was, it was a sit-done, okay? And that's fine. You know, go look at Soul Man. I was hurt. I was felt bad, but uh, that's business. And I understood that. And I went on my life and everyone else went on their life. So young Alex, I did three and a half hours. I live in Palm Springs, 140 miles from LA. Across the, by, by about about a half a mile down here, we we live on a golf course. is the Western Hotel, and that's where I hold interviews for probably the last five years. And they come up and interview me. They had eight people from L.A. You know the the, the the guy to do the film and the audio. You you know that business, and um, and they brought in the the director from Pittsburgh, uh, who was going to direct it because I happen to know his grandfather, who was a big celebrity in Pittsburgh. Seriously, this is all what happened. And uh, Chili Billy, he had a big show in the 60s when I was a kid growing up on a Pittsburgh KDK station. And uh, so they all come in. We were friendly. We agreed to agree on I would have access to everything I said. I did three and a half hours of interviews other than going to the bathroom and having some drinks and sandwiches in between of everything I ever did with Michael. They, they, They wanted to know my history and all that stuff for the last 10. And time goes on, and then time expires. The show comes out, it's a hit, and if you watch 2,000 hours, you'll never see me other than my rear end getting out of the car at the famous meeting in Oregon months later. And uh, that didn't sit well. So I had a bad taste because, not because of John Weinbach from Mandalay Bay. Now life goes on, now we're here. So Mr. Goober and all these people tell me they're going to do a film on the man who signed Michael Jordan. You're too young, but maybe people there remember the big movie about 100 years ago, the man who shot Liberty Valance. He was a gunslinger. You know, it's a famous Western. And, and then he was kicked out of town. Well, I was the man who signed Michael. Obviously, the world knew it, but it was never given clear passage once I was gone. They fired me, just so for your record and your audience, in 1991, which is part of life. That's why that happens. Well,
2: why did that happen, though? I mean, I don't know the details. Is it If it's private, feel free not to answer. But I'm just curious. I know it may be public. Like you said, you're a public figure, but I don't know.
0: Renee, I don't know why they find me either. Because Pam <laughs> and I and Howard White and Michael, Howard was always with Michael at the beginning. Howard was a ball player. You know, he played in Maryland. There was a communication there. You know, when I truly got involved in traveling the world and doing different things with him, Howard went with us. Because, you know, at nighttime, Michael's a young kid. We weren't going where he was going after dinner on 7 or 8 o'clock. So the four of us go there because that was the start of the 91 Olympics, 92, whenever it was. And we went to Spain first, and Michael put the first shovel in the ground for the new stadium. And we had a private plane, too, just so you know, all over Europe because it was the Gulf War. Then we went to Germany and Paris. So the three of us traveled 12 days in Europe. First class, private plane, all this stuff. We come back from that trip. We then go to the Biltmore Hotel in Colorado because it was a Nike. We used to have trips for the coaches at Nike when I was there, and I think they still may have. Where all the coaches got together, and Michael Asher went one before that. So it was time to do the the August trip. You know, as soon as I came back, Pam and I went to the you know Biltmore, uh, and and Michael came in also because that's when he and Magic Johnson signed out on the NBA's personal, they owned their image. Michael and, and uh, Magic dropped the NBA just like the players are able to do now and said they own the rights to their images now. They made their own special deal. And I get a call from somebody at Nike and we're gonna have a meeting and they wanted me to fly back up, okay? I fly back up, I had no idea. I thought we were gonna talk about, okay, Michael's back. What are we doing, Michael? And do I have any new college teams? Because that was my real job other than Michael. But then Michael became my job, assigning all the college basketball teams to wear Nikes. By then, we owned everything. We had won eight or nine NCAA championships in that 14 years. and they never had a team in the thing. You know, we had the greatest coaches from John Thompson, Jerry Tarkany, and Jimmy Valvano, all of them. We won everywhere across the board, okay? And I go up there 11 years, and it took 15 minutes. I walk into the meeting, and fuel fires me. And I made a statement that's been said, and I'll say it on your program. I'm like the guy that comes into town and he cleans up the town of all the bad guys. You saw there was movies, right? There's always been a gunslinger in to beat the gunslingers. Right. And I said, I was that guy. And Phil said, yeah, I was fired in 15 minutes. I went home on the next plane. I flew in. I was going back. I got home. It was a holy day for the Catholics on that day. And Pam went to church. He went to seven o'clock mass down in Santa Monica. I didn't tell her we got home by the time we got home. Somebody in, at Nike called most of the major, major coaches. My phone was off the ringer, off the court. And the first one I heard was from John Chaney, the late, great John Chaney. And he left a message, and I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He said, Listen, anything I can do, I'll come out here and I'll bust your goddamn door down. Let me in, because what do you need? And then my phone ran out. I found out that the world knew that I was fired before I got home. So from that day on, you know, I became a competitor. and about a year or two, I went to work for Adidas. So that brings you out today. To answer your question, to this day, the only thing I can use, my logical mind is, I was so close to Michael, and I was so involved in the early success of Nike with the college teams, with Michael Jordan, with my personality. We then started a camp called the ABCD Camp, mm. the big-time tournament mm. in Las Vegas. These were all my ideas. Wow. Not that others didn't do them better if they did them after me, whatever. I was 24 years old when I started that high school all-star game. I had nothing to do with basketball. I was the worst basketball player on my team. <laughs> I was only 53 kids in the class, okay? So so everything after that turned out good for Sonny Vicaro. That firing was the first obstacle that Pam and I would have gone on with a great life and successful life, I hope. But the last dance, that was the last thing that I can remember connecting other than being polite if I saw people on the street.
2: Wow. And that line that you said was, you brought me in to clean up the place, that's the line?
0: I said exactly that. I said that to Phil Knight. I was the guy that got rid of the bad guys. Just go back in your history books, everyone watching Renee's program today. Just see what their company was before the college programs. Don't wait for Michael, because Michael then changed the world. But if there was no college programs, there would be no pros. There were some pros wearing the shoe, Renee. Right. But they were being paid 35000 feet. And there was no marketing in those days for any company. And you had a choice between Converse and then Adidas because they had really slick clothing. It was more about their clothing. Uh, I remember Michael loved their sweatshirts. A lot of people did. So it was the strangest thing in my life. But it actually, it hurt because there wasn't a, a cause and effect thing, you know, okay, I did this, get your butt out. I was a ornery guy. I never lived there. The movie shows that I lived there are sort of like, I was a transient employee for eight years. I'd fly in for a day or two and fly home. I never lived there and I never went to the confectionery store to see the you know the young kid talk basketball or whatever, you know, the things you see in a movie. The day they all decided to make a deal with Michael and invited me in to have my opinion and I said, give it to the kid. I was the least person that had something to do with Nike, because I didn't really know most of the people. I knew who Howard was, because he was was a very good player at the University of Maryland. And if he wouldn't have got interested, ironically, I I might have picked him for that. He was that good. But I had nothing to do with it.
2: So did you even talk to his mom? That was a big storyline. Did you talk to his mom? She was played by Viola Davis in the movie.
0: Let me say this. I talked to his mother as we went along. I didn't talk to her immediately. I didn't know. The signature thing in that asking uh, Renee is the first meeting I had with Michael with Tony Roman with George Raveling, who was the best man at my wedding, was an assistant coach at the Olympic Games. So they were all in Los Angeles for the eighty four Olympics and they were practicing, and I asked George just to do me a favor, and he did. His role was he drove to Tony Romans, met Michael, but a, a assistant coach friend of his who I know to this day named Rudy Washington actually drove Michael, because if Bobby Knight would have known George did that, he probably would have been over there and fired him. I mean, so George did the right thing, but he got he got Michael to me for the first time. Wow! And Michael and I and George sat down and we talked. When we were leaving, Michael told me outright he called Nike Nikki. He did not pronounce Nike. I I probably made that mistake too. N I K E, right? So you know,
2: right.
0: Who knows about the goddess of what the hell she is? I don't want to. say that. but anyway. So he's leaving. I asked a question out of nowhere, and I had a propensity in my life to ask maybe the right question or make the right move a lot of times. I said, who is your close friend? I thought he'd say a teammate or Coach Dean Smith, which was logical. And he said, my parents. Mm. So I called Rob Strasser back that night, and I said, we're not getting this kid. It was Mm -hmm. over before it started. I wasn't going to have a second meeting. But... I knew Howard White knew him. I said, see if Howard can find the Jordan's number in North Carolina, and Howard found the number for me. So we had a more phone situation. And then once they got to Oregon, the Jordan family and I united until, unfortunately, James's death, until today. I mean, we were involved very heavily while they were at Nike. Even when they fired me, I still remain close to Mrs. Jordan this minute
2: don't go anywhere coming up we're going to continue the conversation with the legendary Sonny Vaccaro We see name, image, and likeness. You talked about signing those college teams back in the day when you were with Nike, and that was a big deal as well. And we see in college now, there's the emergence of name, image, and likeness where players can actually get paid in college. But you played a key role in the O'Bannon versus NCAA lawsuit, which pretty much allowed players to get compensated once they've left the university because their name, image, and likeness would still be used. You're kind of like the godfather of name, image, and likeness if you think about it.
0: Well, you know what? Without any braggadocio, it's a fact, because a lot of people had fought against the NCAA. They proclaimed themselves, Rene, free from all all and every thought that contains to an athlete in the running of the NCAA and how the athletes should be treated. Otherwise, they made their own rules. My first thing I was arguing about you know, at that time, the early 2000s, I was fighting against the NCAA and their rule against allowing the kids to go out of high school to the NBA. That was the first thing that drew me to Eddie and name him and likeness because, and I remember when Brandon Jennings, uh, and he and a lot of kids weren't allowed because the NCAA or some school said their grades. One of the most embarrassing things anybody can say about another human beings, that by inferring that you're not smart. Mm. Well, the very fact that someone said you didn't pass a test was able to quantify exactly what you were as a human being, which I think is obscene. But these people, the NCAA, made rules. And Brandon Jennings was the first young people. He called and said, I'm not going to go through this. They weren't going to rule on his case specifically until January of the next year, which would have meant his whole freshman, half of his freshman year. And he, all he ever wanted to do was go play pro. And he called me, and I got him into Italy. I remember the wise guy remarks against Brandon, really. Uh, in a lot of ways, it was similar to a lot of the athletes, most of them minorities, that were accused of not being able to read, write, or this or that, or they don't deserve to make as much money. All those things that people whispered and then behind your back and smiled at you when you were facing your face. But the NCAA, to me, was this group that were just the most biased, prejudiced people in the world. So Brandon comes out. There were people in America that you know said he shouldn't have done it. He was this, he was that. One of the highlights of my life, until Brandon got you know hurt, he was a hell of a pro. Played nine years in the league, should have been rookie of the year. I mean, very good player, then he gets injured. And that happens to a lot of guys. He was good. Right. And so to go to name, image, and likeness, that all transpires and I take the next step. In about 1995, 96, Pammy was a very successful commercial actor. That's my wife's name. And I'm watching classic sports. Remember that? You may be too young, but they, they used to have all the great games, basketball and football on ESPN. It was called classic sports. They sold it for $116 million. I remember hearing about the case to a group of businessmen who bought it. And I'm watching the films one day and Pammy asked me a very nice question. She said, Sonny, do these kids get residuals off the films? Mm. Well, she said it because... She made a good living getting residuals. Oh,
2: right, because she's in the business. Right.
0: Once you're past that third or fourth showing, you make a five dollar bill for a long time. And that's and that and that made me think about it. Never thought about it. So time passes, going in the back of my head, now I'm making the, the move. because uh, I quit working at Reebok to support, you know, Brandon? And then we continue on. And that's when Eddie O'Bannon happens. Wow.
2: Well, you know, when I think about name, image, and likeness, I think about I don't know if you saw, but the women's NCAA tournament this year had explosive numbers. And then the WNBA draft was yesterday. You're a guy that watched a lot of film, you know, like I like you're a guy that's looked at talent for a long time and assess not even just people, but organizations. And so when you think about the women's game and the WNBA, like what are your thoughts?
0: How the hell did it take so long? <laughs> I mean that. I mean, go back to the early girls. I mean, go back the whole way through. People would say a lot of things about life, but I witnessed it. I witnessed it. Reggie Miller's sister. I mean, all the kids coming up. Go back. They forgot. What about the thousands and thousands of kids? Not only did they didn't get paid, a lot of the kids got injured. A lot of the things, you know, didn't get an education. They got a degree. But most important to me, the women actually saved the world. You know where it all started? The gymnast. The soccer girls, but the gymnasts did more down there in that horrible camp training for the Olympics and all that stuff. When the girls started saying you were being molested, that was the key turning. It wasn't so much athletic Renee, because women then for the first time went against an obstacle that had been facing them forever, that they were this vulnerable sex. And then when you go to Michigan State, you got all the things that happen. But the thing that changed it for the basketball girls. When three years ago, I forget the, the girl, it might have been from Oregon, she went into the, the locker rooms for the NCAA tournament, and they were like going to a cesspool. Now, was the first time America, forget they didn't get the amenities of the boys, that they were treated like 10th class citizens again. The NCAA didn't give a damn about them. They had to have because of Title nine or that would have been you know obscene to even think that. Would have yeah, that own.
2: was Sedona Prince who went and recorded the weight room and went and recorded the various differences that she noticed in the men's March Madness and the women's March Madness.
0: And look where we're at. Last year's girls, last two years. And look what Connecticut and South Carolina have done. Look what those two guys, and they started back at Tennessee years ago. It wasn't like girls are incapable of doing anything. It's like girls were never allow the opportunity. We're still fighting for voting rights, we haven't gotten anywhere. But the one place in my life, and I, I'm 83, Renee. Wow. The one thing that's been as open to everything are the artists. The artists, not so many the ones that draw, the ones that sing, the ones that act, the ones that play an instrument. In that's where, even in my world, the Italian world, the early immigrants, if we could do something that wasn't you had to go through a corporate or a business or or you were prejudged, because no one can prejudge if you can sing or if you can dance or if you can throw a basketball on a hoop. If you did it, you were allowed. Remember when most of the black actors and, and singers and everything used to go to France, go to Italy, go to get out of America to perform. That always happened. But what has now happened because finally, finally the girls held each other hand. I, I, I just Helen Redding last night, I, I watched the thing again. You know, I am woman. I mean, you know, a lot of people, and I, I, I liked her voice and I liked her, but I didn't pay attention. But I watched the ending again last night. I, I knew I was doing you. I said, she was very really good. And thousands were. But that song gave strength to movements. The marches, it gave strength. What we do well, but because we're not all in position to change things right away, what we do well, Is things that they never thought we could do well. And when we could sing and dance and play basketball, do anything. Mostly people if given the opportunity, given a chance to be educated or given given the exposure. Look at Victor, this kid from France.
2: Victor Wambayana.
0: Look what's happened. I mean, look at the two girls who went one, two. I mean, people we don't know who went one, two, five years ago. I'll pay you a dime. Even though they're, you know, Diana and all those girls, I mean, my God. I mean, look what they've done and look what they do on t- in tennis. So I witnessed a lot. I'm proudest the most of my life of Obama. I was rooting for Dawn to go 39 and 0, 39 and 0, 39 and 0. I mean, you know what? That's never been done. That's wonderful. And this girl comes from Philadelphia. She's like going to do this. And go to South Carolina where there ain't been a black person got recognition since I don't know what. And I'm just telling you how beautiful that was to watch.
2: Listen, Mr. Sonny, I love it. Like I love your storytelling. I would listen to you talk all day. I want to ask just one more question. We can need to bottle up what's in your mind right now because you said you're 83. You've lived it. You've breathed it. You've seen what generational talent looks like. Not once we talked about you signed Michael Jordan. You also signed Kobe Bryant. And so I have kind of a twofold question of from somebody like you that has signed generational talent before, what are those things that you see on tape that are those intangibles in players that you know when you see it? And then what do you want your legacy, Mr. Sunny, to be? Because you've done a lot, as you talked about. What does your legacy look like?
0: I hope that I didn't offend anybody. I hope that they think the kid from Trafford tried. And as far as the first question, Renee, I can't explain that because somewhere in the line, someone's given a gift. I had nothing to do with basketball. I love baseball and football. It was the last thing in my life, why I was able to, and I was able to do that almost instinctively. I, I did. But let me tell you two things that stuck in my mind forever. And it's Kobe and Michael. If you allow me five minutes, I'll give you two stories to connect them to him forever. Please, please do. I only saw Kobe once in my life. I never saw him before he came to ABCD camp. And a good friend of mine, Joe Bryant, was the most valuable player at my All-Star game at 1972 Round Classic. His mother's last name is Pam Cox. Chubby Cox, her brother, was a great college player. You know, once the University of San Francisco, I knew the parents before he was born, before they knew they were getting married. So now it's 25 years later, something like in the 20s, I get a call from uh, Gary Charles, my good friend. And he said, Sonny, Joe Bryan called me uh, and he's back, and he, I know he knows you from the round ball. He didn't know how to get a hold of me. He said, He wants to contact you. He wants to bring his son to ABCD camp. My camp, unlike the tricky camp at uh, McDonald's, was not a, an all-star We weren't an all-American. We picked the best kids we thought were worthy of playing. There were no politics involved. There's no this or that. So I was going to take Joe's, Kobe, if he was as bad as me, because he was my friend. He helped my life, okay? So now we're at camp. The first day of registration was, and Gary comes, Sonny, I brought the Bryants over to you and their son, Kobe. That was the first time I saw Joe. I never met Pam before because obviously I didn't meet her at the Depp and, M, and he introduced me to Kobe. Now Kobe starts. I, he's in the camp. Joe and Pam stay there. I go see him as I did 140 other kids. And he had no references. It wasn't like he came in all state. He didn't play any in America. Camp's over. He comes over and said, Mr. Carroll, I want to thank you for inviting me to camp. Kobe, I said, no, thank you for coming. You did well. He said, no, I didn't. I said, what do you mean? I'm telling Mr. Go, I'm coming back to the camp next year, and I'm going to be the best player in the whole camp. He said that. I'm coming back. And also, Renee, he made the know junior team. He he played in the All-Star game. It wasn't like people didn't know. He
2: wanted to come back to dominate, huh?
0: That's him. Now we're going to go back. We're going to go back. We're in that tour of Germany with uh, Michael and uh, Howard and and Pammy and me. So we're on that tour. And he's playing a game against the army base. His brother was in the army. So we played the army teams in Germany. And the deal was Michael was going to play 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and that's it against the army. So he played for army team one and then army team two. So before he started the game. So they're all warming up the the gym, however big it was, all the soldiers were there, whatever it was was sold out. It may not be 2,000 people, but it was the gym we played in. So Howard says to me, son, Mike hasn't come back yet. I said, I'll go get him. I think he'll go to the bathroom. I walk in. It's a latrine. It's not a men's or women's thing that we have today. They're at least cleaned up and they got their own little stalls. It's a latrine. And a lot of the men, maybe the girls don't know what a latrine is, but it was not a very clean, popular place to go <laughs> just do your business, right? Okay. So Mike was <laughs> sitting on this long bench next to the latrine. and He had a basketball and he's bouncing it. I go in. I say, Mike, we got to go. We got to go. He looks up to me and said, son, I'll be okay. Give me another minute. You know what he said to me? What? He was getting ready to play a basketball game that meant nothing for 10 minutes and 10 minutes. And he wasn't going to go out there and be a fool. First half, Michael Teens winning by 20. He's kicking their butt. Second half, he comes back and beats his team. That happened. He beat both teams.
2: <laughs> so he was winning on the first half and then he went.
0: <laughs> yeah, he went against the score is now 40 20. Let's just say that. Okay. Now, the next score, the end of the game, he, he played all 40 minutes. Oh, he didn't <laughs> he played 20 minutes. He didn't take a break and he won like 82 80. Crazy. And that's what Kobe said. Kobe said, I'm going to be the best. And Michael said, if I'm playing a game against you, Sonny, I'm going to beat you.
2: It's that mentality.
0: That's who they were. That's what separates you. You know, you're a great sports fan and you know athletics and you know people that are serious, serious athletes. You know what separates them? What's that? The game. It means too much. Yeah. There's a lot of kids, girls and boys. I don't know as many girls. I probably only know the best ones. But in the men thing, in today's society, there are more great players than when I was running my camps. The kids are better now. They're exposed. All this BS about this and that. These kids are ready to play at an early age. We know who they are in an early age. It used to be some wealthy kids went to a camp somewhere. Most of the kids, including Sonny Vicaro, had a pool up there and they put a little basket on the telephone pool and you were on the and you had to get off when the cars were cutting. <laughs> or you were in a you know dust ball. You know, yeah. Tracy made a trip to Africa and he came back and he saw the soccer players and some dudes. And I, I always remember this. Cause Tracy is probably the kid I got closest to my whole life. He's still involved in our life. And he told me about the conditions. And you stop and think about it. You know what? Of all the countries and all the worlds that we have existing and countries change their names, probably the most misleading country in the history of mankind is Africa, probably because the color of the skin of the individuals are there. And because they didn't have an ed- a chance for education or whatever. I have no idea, Renee. I'm, and I'm not prophesizing here. I'm not trying to impress anybody. But if you're honest, and then you can down to 2023 and this kid. Now, we've had, yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of foreign kids, foreign countries. The foreigners are just as good as us now, just so we understand that. Those kids can play. Well,
2: definitely. If you look at the past MVPs in the NBA, you're going to see that a lot of players are international players, definitely.
0: Who would have thought of Giannis doing it? If they had to win it this year, for any, it's almost impossible to believe these sort of things, right? But what I'm saying is sport and individuals, we all have – there's a phrase, a God-given talent. The sad part, they don't finish it, but few have chance – To use that talent.
2: I love that. Listen, like I said, I could have talked to you all day. You're a legend. What you've done to the game, you know, you said you want your legacy to be that you hope you didn't offend anyone. You did the opposite of that. I mean, you built, and I know, like you said, you didn't make them who they are, but you were the vehicle. You know, like when somebody signs a shoe deal, that could change their life. I'm sure that when a player used to sign a shoe deal, they didn't know that that was a life-changing decision. We see players now, Steph Curry, who signed a deal with Under Armour, and he has his own Curry brand. Those type of things were made a thing because you were the first one to get creative and be like, yeah, so what? Let's make the shoe match the, the guy or bring in the guy and making him an elevated superstar. You were a part of that. So I thank you for joining me here on Montgomery & Company. Right, one more you,
0: Please, all the time you need. Okay. You know what? LeBron will get his. Seth got his. You know, Grand Hill had something or whatever. But you know what? None of this happens without Michael Jordan. None of this. Michael did it. Nike would have been successful, and you can't play results, Renee. But I'll tell you what: just use common sense. That doesn't mean Phil Knight isn't smart. That means we all got lucky in '84. Michael remembered more after he's gone, not because he might have been the GOAT. I don't know what the GOAT is. I think the GOAT, in my personal opinion, is the guy who was the best in the decade because I think it's hard to replicate what happened 50 years ago. Will Chamberlain, obviously, you're talking crazy. I mean, Bill Russell, the games were different, that's all. Right. But Michael did something. He opened the door for athletes to be a part of the ownership who are employing them. That was never thought of before. That he and he gave identity to these athletes who can earn. Do you really think the word air, you just put the word air on that movie and they know what the hell it is? I mean it could have been for a breeze, you know that thing that has a good smell? <laughs> underneath the bottle, it says air. I, I, I it, it does. <laughs> what if put that on? They thought it was Fabriz. But the world knows who air is. It's Michael. Right. You know. I haven't seen Michael in a long time, but Michael, his heritage, his great, great, great grandchildren, we may not even have basketball, but he opened up an industry. He's no different than Bill Gates and all these other guys who were brilliant in the times that they lived in. and They created something that will live forever. That's what I wanted to say last.
2: I love that. Sonny Vaccaro, man. This is crazy. This is crazy. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. A
2: Man, from Kobe Bryant to Michael Jordan, he even brought up Victor Wambinyama, who's probably going to be the number one draft pick in the NBA. We got Leah Boston, the number one draft pick in the WNBA this year. Haley Jones, just all of these players. You know, I was trying to get in his mind to figure out what is that greatness? Like, can you see it? Can you actually see it on camera? Can you actually see it on film? He's touched it. You know, he's signed greatness. He's been around greatness. I wanted to know, you know, from his eyes what that was like. And I think we got that. You know, he talked about greatness is being competitive at every single moment. And so I wanted to be a great player. And now I want to be a great vice president and a great owner because it's a generational thing here at moco